Dropping at the movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just watched the 2020 Best Feature Documentary Oscar winner. Yes. American Factory, directed by Stephen Bogner and Julia Reichert. Documentary makers you are familiar with, I think. Or a bit yes, familiar. I think they won, they've won several Academy Well, she's won several Academy Awards before for Union Maids and something else. And Union Maids, if I remember correctly, was also about unionisation. I'm just having a quick look at... Um, no, she's won one Oscar. She's been nominated before. She was nominated for Best Documentary Feature for Union Maids in 76 and Seeing Red in 83 and The Last Truck, Closing of a GM Plant in 2009, which is a film that focuses on the same factory that this film focuses on. Right. This used to be a GM factory. It closed and it reopened as this Fuyao Glass factory and that's what this film is about. Yeah. And he uh, also won Oscar, same is for this film, a nominee as well for The Last Truck. He worked with, with her, and that's it. Right. So that's their yeah, Oscar so history. Yeah, so a very impressive documentarian. And this is a really impressive documentary. That's fantastic. Um, I think on a filmmaking level, it moves beautifully. It's narrated very, very lightly. No voiceover narration and just the occasional bit of on-screen text. But actually, the film just lets the people tell their story. Well, that's their style, and that is like a key characteristic of direct cinema, which is where they both come from. Yeah. Yeah. It was voiceovers meant to be like a voice of God kind of thing that unifies everything and that tells you what to think about something. And uh, not having voiceover leaves it more open. And this has been produced for Netflix, and it's available on Netflix. And the production company, or one of the production companies, is Higher Ground Productions which is the Obama's production company. Oh, right. Barack and Michelle Obama. And that made me think because it's never pointed up in this film that this is happening during the Obama years, right? And I think part of it is that you can kind of see if if the Democrats and if the kind of the second coming president mm. could let American workers' lives kind of get so bad, is it any wonder that they vote for Trump in 2016, I kind of thought. It's not something that the film approaches, though. You never hear mention of it. You just know it's happening during those years. Mm. Yes. Um, I don't know, because one of the things that the film does is, first of all, it, it really strikes fear, at least in me, you know, about what the conditions in China are. I mean, you know, we're told that employees uh, work 14 hours a day, that they get one or two days off a week. A month. A month that they only get to go see their families at most twice a year. Yeah. So either people who are raising children, and basically it's the grandparents who are raising the children because they're working and they can't see them, or it's the wife who's, yeah, or the, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of women working as well So in this factory. So the conditions are really awful. The safety standards are very bad. They're really treated like in a military fashion, i.e. they're basically all disposable. They do military maneuvers before their shift, which is like... You know, yeah, they have roll call and they have uh, pep talks. Yeah, it's like it's like a bad sci-fi films, and they're being barraged constantly uh, by propaganda from the company, which appeals to their nationalism, yeah, to their patriotism. So it's really like a nightmare vision of a society, and it's awful. And so it's no wonder that there's a culture clash when they try to implement this in America. On the other hand, kind of what we see throughout the film is the factory loses. It does not get unionized. The company bribes them 
with $2 more in wages. It hires specialists to prevent the union from taking place. Yeah, union avoidance specialists. Yes. And the film points out this has become a growing industry since the 70s That's in right. America. And it also points to the correlation between the increase in these companies' profits and the decrease in workers' rights and wages. Yeah. So it's a very, very powerful film. Uh, yeah, so the, I suppose we should point out the, the central focus of this film isn't the factory in China. That's a visit that uh, higher-ups at the American factory, they're taken there. Mm. So the, the Chinese have invested in this American factory. Like I said, it used to be GM. It closed in 2010 or so, reopened under this Chinese company, Fuyao, making automotive glass. And I think it's, it's interesting that a lot of Chinese workers are brought over to work on the factory floor. There are a lot of executives as well, but I think it's great that the film doesn't indulge very much, maybe a little bit later on as tensions grow, but certainly right at the start, not at all, in a clash between Chinese and American workers of the same level, right? You kind of think what the higher-ups in any kind of uh, hegemony power system want is people at the bottom to be fighting each other. And I bet you any money that there were people, the low-level workers, who were resistant to the Chinese coming in. But the film will not show you that. What the film shows you is them getting along, making friends with the Chinese, taking them to shoot guns and fish and all the rest of it. That's what you're showing at the start. The film won't indulge in them having a problem with each other. But at the end, you do get, you know, this thing about Chinese superiority or this doesn't work in America. The cultural conflicts are made very vivid. And actually, there's that very telling incident where somebody says, you see this guy? Yeah, we get along really well. In two weeks, he'll be out. Yes, but I think that what I'm trying to point up is that, that the person who says that is one of... Well, to, to an extent, one of the... He's not an executive, I don't think, but he is a boss. But the, the, the conflict that the film does depict quite strongly and indulge in is between the higher-ups and the lower-downs. Well, um, and between the higher the Chinese higher-ups and the American lower-downs, because actually you don't see any kind of Chinese resistance of the lower-downs to that process either. No, you don't. Although you do see, when they take that visit to China, there is a moment given to a Chinese factory worker uh, who talks about how hard her life is. Yes, um, but how lucky that she is to have that job, she says also. Yeah, she does. She so, can, and, but there's a sense, I think, in there of grinning and bearing it. And she says, I have no choice. Well, yeah, but I mean, what I'm trying to establish here is that there is a distinct difference. So you can't just eliminate the Chinese-American conflict. It's true that it's between, largely between the higher-up Chinese and the lower-down Americans, but there's no resistance or, you know, uh, by the Chinese workers at all. And actually, all the Chinese workers are bosses. They're all supervisors yeah, of their sections. They're not just mm. kind of employees. Yeah, I know what you mean. With the Wong guy, who is, uh, who is the one I think you see going and shooting guns and stuff early on. He's he's one of the... He's about as low as low in the food chain, as it were, as the Chinese workers get. Later on, you see him in his apartment looking at a photo of his family. He can't see his family. He's been away for a long time. He misses them. He talks about crying. I can't say that to any of my friends because... He's know, also careful not to criticise the company, which I think speaks a lot. You know, so I think you see people caught up in this 1984-type situation, really, where a lot of things can't... You see American workers speaking their feelings and speaking what they see as their conditions of existence. You don't see another Chinese workers doing that. To he each other, you mean? Because he does, t he does talk to the documentary makers about that, like I said. No, no, he's talking about the documentary filmmakers about his, his feelings and his family 
like you know how he misses his family mm. he's not talking about his working conditions the way that all the american workers do okay so i think that's important it's significant so i think the film is trying very hard to be not to be racist and i think it succeeds you know but nonetheless it also points out incredible cultural differences you know uh between one and the other i think that person who you're referring to is one of the few that you see speak individually yes you often see like the chinese in groups yeah kind of you know whereas often the americans are alone and they're yeah they're speaking yes they do speak more directly to more of the china more of the american workers on a one-to-one basis you're right Uh, you don't see that so much with the chinese but i think you get in elements of it yes the other thing is that you you point out there's a conflict the strongest conflict is between the chinese higher-ups and the american uh, workers which i think is true but the american higher-ups do have a kind of an element of participation, particularly that one guy, Kurt, I, I think mean, his name my is, God, you know, they, who they, is such a prick. They reminded me of those, I don't know, rabbis who led Jews to, to the ovens. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's collaboration in the extreme, you know, and such sucking up, it's really revolting to watch. Yeah, so know. when the Americans are invited to China to see how the Chinese do it and maybe take back things that they can implement in the American factory, there's this one guy, I think his name is Kurt, um, who he, he you see him uh, speaking to a Chinese uh, employee as well, but he's fluent in Chinese, talking about how lazy American workers are. Yeah. And then when he goes back to America, he tries to implement a pep talk and says, you stand here, I need you to stand on three, I need you to stand on two, like trying to get his workers in order, and they're not really interested. And he's being such an officious... He, like I said to you, he reminded me of Gareth yes. from The Office, like a little bit of power and he thinks he's amazing, yeah. and no one's really interested. I think it's worth saying that in China, what you saw was a military formation. It was like being in the army. You know, people stood up, and all in unison, all in step, you know, having to declare their number. So number one, number two, yeah, they're yeah. a number. And, of course, the idiot tries to implement the same thing in the American factory, and nobody's having it. And, actually, everybody's body language, instead of being, you know, erect and upright and looking in the same direction, like in the army, with their legs apart. Yeah, they are like soldiers in the factory, those guys. Well, of course, that's not going to happen, you know, yeah. in the American factory. They're not soldiers. And, of course, he has absolutely no idea what he's doing anyway, and he has nothing to say. Yeah. But still, the idea that he wants to implement, implement that, that he thinks this will be a great thing. I know, he's such a moron. Of all the ideas that you could bring back, that's the one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's interesting that the other American executives go to that trip. You see them having... Some of them are... are they enjoy sharing the culture and meeting other people, and you have that one guy who's brought to tears by, you know, we're all the same underneath, aren't we? Yeah. And he, I think he has kind of a moment. I kind of liked him... Most of them have, to me, I thought had kind of a raised eyebrow thing going on. Like, they have no safety stunts here. They don't know what they're doing. You'd never get away with this in America mm. is part of the thing. Yes. And actually, a couple of those you see later on having been fired, I think, because they show up at the UAW uh, union meeting when the workers are trying to unionise. Because there's this, that point where they where a couple of higher-ups are laid off and replaced with Chinese executives. This paints such a poor picture of America as well. Um, you know, so the Americans who go to China, who are all supervisors, are all relatively high up in the factory system. Uh, they're all fat, which I think speaks to a structure in America. I mean, it's, I'm not kind of pointing to an individual fault or anything. It's not, I don't want to personalize it. But the fact that they're all fat speaks to problems with America and food, you know, and, and lack of safety standards and lack of food standards. And then, of course, aside from that, 
they're all very poorly dressed. They all arrive in t-shirts or, mm. you know, chinos or the shirts are all like they're not pressed. There's a kind of a different sense of occasion. Yeah, you know, mm. there's a mismatch. So all of the Chinese are in these almost uniform, actually. They're all wearing suits, but it's all the same color suits. It's all like this navy blue, very sharp. Yeah. Mm. So I think kind of that does speak to very significant cultural differences that don't speak well for either culture, actually, if I think about it. Though what's nice and what I love about this film is the way that it treats everybody with dignity and respectfully. Yeah, it doesn't kind of... It doesn't make fun of anybody, right? So mm. I loved that all of the American workers, like, they're all shown to be intelligent, smart, hardworking. You know, they're caught in kind of conditions not of their own making. You know, their life is shown to be really hard. So, for example, you're shown this one woman who's living, lost her job, and she's now living in her sister's basement. And then she finds her own flat, and you see her trying to make it nice and pretty. And she's super smart and interesting yeah mm. so i like that respect that the film has for its subjects yes and also i love that the imagery it has a poet's grace yeah like there's an attempt to make kind of what you see symbolic and be well beautiful is maybe some some bits are beautiful oh, yeah you know um, so they always go for the most interesting and evocative composition and image, mm. especially at the beginning, right? The sense of what a factory is. It seems like a kind of a temple in a way, right? Like, obviously, it's all iron and steel and space. Yeah, but it's also made to be quite beautiful. Yeah. I thought that one shot early on that we both remarked upon of the kind of hangar, mm. vast place, that to me spoke of like a mausoleum. Like a sarcophagus, well, you okay. know. That's, that's what that kind that's of brought out to me. That's interesting. But it intersects a little bit, yeah? Yeah. It's kind of, you know, massive symbolic structures, you know. Um, and it's the centre of the town. You see these shots, people driving around, and they always point out, that's the FGA factory. Yeah. You can always see it. There's a big logo. And it's like, it's, it is really is that thing of everyone in the town works at this place. Yeah. You know, it is the centre. And, and you can obviously tell when, when the place closed down, uh, as part of GM, mm. it was this massive loss to the entire place. You have that meeting right at the very start when they're saying we're going to reopen this place. Everyone's there trying to uh, get the job mm. there, basically, and most of them, I think, are getting their jobs back, handing in their resumes, saying, you know, I've got all this experience. Yeah, um, well, they're getting jobs back at less than half the pay. <laughs> yeah, they talk about they were getting like $28 and change. As opposed to 12 Yeah, with 12 is what they're getting now. So, you know, that's a huge cut. And you have this thing, the guy at the end, just kind of lamenting, those days are gone, we're never <coughs> going to be paid that much again. And he's right. So the film tells us at the very end that 300, over 300 million jobs are going to be lost by the year 2030 due to uh, mechanization. Yeah, worldwide. Worldwide. 375 and million, that's the population of the US. And that basically countries, the rich, and you know workers are going to have to come up with an agreement on how to manage this change that's going to be seismic, really. I, I think something like real wages in the US haven't uh, risen since the 70s, whilst costs have gone up. So there's a, a huge reduction in people's disposable incomes and in people's style of life. And the film tells you it's going to get worse. 
And the theme of automation, or it kind of made me laugh because it comes in right at the end. The whole thing up until now has been how the workers are treated, and then it's only in the last like minute of the film that you have the Chinese. Uh, executives and the chairman walking around the factory saying we've got a mechanical arm here that's replaced four workers I'm hoping to replace four workers by July over here that's right at the very end and so it's it's like this kind of extra depressing button on the rest of it that goes actually all of this is kind of futile because we're all going to lose our jobs anyway well but I'm not sure about I wouldn't come to that conclusion because I think the question for me that the film asks uh, is it better to turn people into robots or to replace them with robots but yeah, there's, there's all this talk about ungrateful for having a job and so on and so forth. And this is, there is an element of people talking about taking pride in their work, but then they also talk about being given instructions by their Chinese supervisors and saying, well, why? And, and there's a conflict, I think, in kind of between enjoying your work, finding meaning in your work, and getting bored by the repetitive nature that, that is meaningless. There is a conflict that isn't resolved, I think, well, in the way that a lot of these workers think. And the model that you're showing, which is how the Chinese workers are doing, it is robotic. It is yes. like, you know, all of these... Uh, choreographed movements in unison, you know, that are entirely repetitive and never ending, you know, for up to 12, 14 hours a day. And to me, that does speak of like turning humans into robots. And that's how the company is efficient. But that is why those couple of moments that I pointed out with the Chinese workers being uh, speaking about their thoughts and lives are important, because I think it's important to as you said, can show them dignity and humanise them. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, but nonetheless... it would be so easy to fall into a stereotype of their robots and the Americans have inner lives. <laughs> the manager's idea, the chairman's idea of what a good worker is, is someone who behaves like a robot. Yes. Yeah, and is inexhaustible, right? Like, yes. like a robot, right? So it's ironic then that, you know, the actual workers are replaced by robots. Well, it may be ironic, it's not the right word, it's predictable. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, for for a capitalist, for for a business owner, a person, a human being, is basically the worst thing you can spend money on because they're you know, unpredictable. They cost money. You have to give them benefits. They fight you. Machines don't do anything. It's that. the way certain directors feel about actors. <laughs> That's why they prefer animation. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but is that a bad thing? That's I think what the film, in a way, leaves open. So on the one hand, it's very dystopic. It's saying things are, are going to get worse. But only if you look at it in terms of jobs, because also all of these people who now will not have jobs will also have time to do other things, which could include revolt. Yeah, I was I was reading an interesting little thread on Twitter earlier today, actually, which was about video games. It's about a certain type of video game that is about kind of factory work. You have these games that are about organizing factory, building things well and, and doing kind of menial work in a way. And this guy was saying... Uh, you can look at this two ways. Either you can look at it as it's a problem that people have been trained into enjoying work, that they take it home and do it on their games consoles as mm. well. The other hand, you could say, well, actually, the problem is that people do enjoy work, and the problem is that your working life has trained the fun out of you because mm. it's, it's you have to do it for a job, you have to do it under hard conditions and stuff. This kind of made me think of that when I was thinking about the conflict between uh, how much do you enjoy... Uh, you have the, one, the point where the guy says... I think it's actually that guy, Kurt... I'm going to still assume his name is, who mm-hmm. says, they come here to make money, not to make glass. Well, of course they fucking come of here to make money. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, what do you expect out of exactly. them? And you need to show them more respect if you want them to, to find meaning in making glass. I know. Like, you know, who the fuck gets joy out of making, you know, working in a factory and making glass? I mean, that's absurd. Of course, that you know, you go in there to make money. It's yeah. not your life. But actually, I also do think that certainly... 
what the chairman expects of his workers in China is at least to give the outward appearance and consent to love making glass and to live for the factory itself rather yes. than the individual. And that is a complete contrast in cultures that the film evokes very, very vividly. Yeah, exactly. And the one thing that the people really could take pride in, I think you're shown here, would be the union. And they have that scared out of them too. Yeah. Uh, because the people who are fighting to unionise, are they have real life in them, I think. Mm. You know, yeah. They enjoy it, they sing the song, the, the uh, Solidarity Forever and so on. And yes. of course then they lose the votes, yes. 800 odd votes to 400 odd. Fear wins out. Yeah. On that note, I uh, highly recommend it. It's a truly great film. Yes, it it is. is freely available on Netflix uh, if you subscribe. Yeah, you have to pay for Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but really worth watching. I re really recommend it. And I think it's the, it, it, this and 13th, which was the Ava yes. DuVernay documentary, are these brilliant, concise, so complex documentaries about all these fantastic ideas. Yes. And, and yeah. So do see it. Uh, and thank you for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify. Our social media is Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdropping at the movies dot com. Workers <laughs> of the world unite. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs>